Good morning, Grace Fellowship. Happy New Year to you. Glad you're here this morning. Uh, it's my privilege to introduce to you our speaker of the word this morning. Uh, Nathaniel Wisman grew up here at Grace Fellowship. He's a son of Grace Fellowship. Uh, interned here at Grace Fellowship. Uh, felt a call to ministry and is now a student pastor in Tyler, Texas. Would you all welcome with me Nathaniel Wisman? Stephen, I don't think I need to turn this on. Okay, good. I usually forget to do that. Uh, student section, best section? Apparently not. Great. Uh, here we go. Uh, the five-year-olds are in the room. Where are the five-year-olds at? Asleep? Great. We're on track. Uh, but for real, today it is a, just honestly, it's a great honor to be back uh, where I found my roots, uh, where I responded to the call of grace by faith, uh, where I just had so many people pour into me that and outside of just my immediate family made every time I step in Katy, Texas, feel like home. So it's an honor, it's a privilege to be here. Today we're talking about what, what is the, the church, right? This, this idea of church. I mean, and you can, kids, like here, look, kids, all right, you can say answers back to me the whole time. It's totally okay. And if that keeps you awake and engaged, let's do it. Cool? All right. I forgot to say this. If I say cool, you say beans. That's how I know you're with me. Cool? Fantastic. All the adults did it. I swear I heard like most 80-year-olds do it. It's great. Um, let's try it one more time, make sure we're good to go. Cool? Fantastic. There it is. I heard it somewhere. Awesome. Um, the church. If someone asked you, where are you going this morning? You probably said in some form or fashion, yeah, I'm, go I'm going to church. Um, in junior high, I thought of church as, yeah, I'm going to go get donuts and bagels, and I'm going to, this was pre-BC, pre pre-before Christ Nathaniel, I'm going to just destroy the epicenter. Uh, but thankfully we didn't. We weren't successful. Uh, there were the likes of uh, Jeff Tilson and Tyler Suppley to halt my assaults. But I would think of the church as coming to a place, being somewhere where I would come to an encounter with the Lord. If you think of church, you might think of Baptist, First Baptist, Second Baptist. No one knows where Fourth Baptist is. Uh, you might think of First Methodist, United Methodist, Free Methodist. You might think of Catholic, you might think of the Christ Church. There's so many different words and lingos and phrases and denominations we have associated with this word church. It can honestly be very complicated and confusing for someone that is five to someone that is 95. The church is a beautiful thing. In Matthew 16, we see for the first time in the New Testament, Jesus comes to Peter and he's talking to Peter and it's the first use of our English translation of the word church where he says to Peter upon you on this rock I will build my church. Well what comes to me when I think of the word church is uh, it's so dumb like it's so silly it's you know that nursery rhyme like everyone let's put our hands together let's do it together real quick I'm gonna face the camera so you can see it what is this here's the church there's the steeple open the doors God's people, boom, y'all are incredible. Wow, you can go home now, we figured it out. Nursery rhymes got us, got us good. Uh, no, but that's what I think about when I hear the church. Uh, I think about walking through the halls of First Assembly of God Pineville where my grandpa pastored and how it smelled like old people, but for some reason it, that smelled like home. Uh, I, I remember all that. There's fill in the blanks, but today we're gonna talk about 
three main things about what I believe the Bible says the church is in a way that we can receive it from the word and apply it to our lives today. Simply put, the church is the people of God. These are your first three fill in the blanks. The people of God gathered with the presence of God, proclaiming the powerful praises of God. I'll say that one more time. The church is the people of God, gathered with the presence of God, proclaiming the powerful praises of God. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for all that you've done here in Katy, Texas. Lord, thank you for those who have come in excited and eager. Thank you for those who have come in and have already fallen asleep. Thank you for those who are, are just kids coming because their parents tell them to come. Lord, thank you for every single person that is in this room or watching online. Lord, we thank you for those who might hear this message later. Lord, we know that your heart is for your people to know you and to come to common salvation under your son. So Lord, we pray that as we go through your word and learn what you have to say about your bride, about your church, that we would leave this building today changed and encouraged and maybe just even convicted about sin that we still struggle with. Lord, we love you and we need you. And we pray this all until Christ calls or comes. In your name, amen. The people of God. We can't, we can't separate church. You can't take the building and not have the people. You can't have either without the other, essentially. If you take this word church that we have for our English translation, it comes from this really old word that I'm not going to try and pronounce for you, but essentially it means dome or the Lord's house is where we get the English word from it, where the old European proper English uh, would translate it as kirk, or the Germans called it, which now we get the word church. And this word church would mean the Lord's house. But when Jesus talks to Peter in Matthew 16, he actually uses a different word. And in the Greek, uh, you can pronounce it ecclesia, ecclesia. Uh, our Greek professor would joke, it just depends which Greek professor you had, depending on what way you pronounce it. Just like if you grew up in Texas or if you grew up in New York, you're going to pronounce things differently. But the church, this root ecclesia, comes from this idea of an assembly of people to govern over something. It comes from this idea that these people would come together in a community and vote on something to enact rules and make things happen. This is the cultural context that happened before Jesus began to use this word. And so when he says the word church, he means the assembled people of God. And we see the people of God are woven in this story of redemption. That we can't separate who the church is away from the people of God because the people of God are the church of God. It begins in Genesis when God says man was not meant to be alone. That's your next fill in the blank. Is that just that man was not meant to be alone. Humanity was created male and female and they were meant to dwell together all together with God. But what happened to this design is that, is that sin and shame entered the picture in that that design was distorted. That design was distorted by sin and out of God's holiness and justness, he pushes Adam and Eve out of the garden. Out of his grace, he clothes them and sends them out with a promise. He sends them out with a promise that he gives to Eve that your offspring, your offspring, there will be someone who will come who his heel will be bitten by the serpent but his heel will crush the serpent's head. There was a snake crusher to come that would save the people of God and bring them back to being with God. 
I love this picture. What was God going to do with his people? Because after Adam and Eve leave the garden, what happens? Like, like if you know the Old Testament, what happens? Anyone want to just shout back and tell me in two words what happens? Good, great. I say not good. A lot of not good. A lot of not good happens, and that is broken bad English. But a lot of not good happens when people try to take control of their own lives with their sinful hearts. But in the middle of all that, we see this God who is working to redeem and save his people because he desires, it's evident, if you read the scripture, that God desires to be with his people. So we go from Adam and Eve to the patriarchs of Abraham and Jacob and Joseph, and then you go to the Exodus where God redeems and saves his people to the conquest period where God wants to bring his people into the promised land if they would just follow and listen to him, but they can't do that. Then we go to the judges where the judges, it's simple, tear down the altars of Baal. And there was only one of the judges that actually did that. And then we get to the kings who were supposed to rule and govern the people the way God would intend the people to be ruled and governed. But they can't do that properly. And there's this point where we get to the prophets. The people are lost. The people are far away. The people don't understand God's heart for them. They have lost sight of what it means to walk in a holy fashion, to walk in a way that God intended them to walk. And so we get this prophet named Hosea. And this idea of Hosea. And the reason why I'm bringing us to Hosea is because we can't really understand who the people of God are if we don't understand what marriage was intended to be. That marriage was intended to be a picture. And that God uses Hosea to communicate to the northern kingdom of Israel that was separated of, of what God's relationship with his people was looking like what God was going to do to save his people. So Hosea, with a message from God, is a prophet to the people. And kids, here's what, here's what I want you to understand. Here's what God's calling Hosea to do. He's saying, Hosea, I want you to go find this wife. Her name's Gomer. But know that as you marry her, she's going to lie to you. She's going to cheat on you. She's not going to be honest. And it's going to be really hard. Now raise your hand. Would you, would you do that if you were Hosea? Good. No one raised their hand. That's smart. We shouldn't probably enter into a relationship like that. But it was a picture God was creating about who his people were. And yet he still was going to pursue them. So he has Hosea go and Mary Gomer. And they have two kids. And in these, these two kids, does anyone know what their ki- his kids' names were? Anyone? It's all right. He has more than two kids, but there's two kids specifically. And if you said something, I'm so sorry. I didn't hear you. Uh, but he has two kids. He says, you're going to name one not my people because I am, they are not my people. And you're going to name the other kid, you shall not receive mercy. Because God had every right to withhold mercy from his people. He had every right to call his people not my people because they have walked away from God. They had not listened to God and we just get this picture of a groom that says, okay, and he gets to figure out the picture. And you get to the end of Hosea chapter 2 and 3 where Hosea now goes and buys back his wife. His wife went to be with another man, and he, it says that Hosea went and paid 15 shekels, and he bought her. What a beautiful picture of what God was going to do for his people. And to simplify it and picture this in a way that helps me, man, if you are like 10 years old and younger or 20 and older and have a toddler or a kid, you're about to go nuts because my favorite show and I think the best show ever is Bluey. Like hands down, it's, thank you. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. You are my number one fan right now and this is great. But Bluey, if you haven't watched Bluey as a parent, just let me tell you, first of all, they put it in blue and orange so dogs can see the color. That's crazy. 
I don't know if that's true. I saw it on Instagram. Uh, but uh, what I love about Bluey is it's this dad and this mom that are raising up their kids. It's, they have two daughters um, and they're just, this dad like sets the bar of what a fun dad is because I'm like, look, there's an episode, there's a whole episode where the dad and mom are just taking a nap. And the whole episode is seven minutes of the kids climbing Mount Mom and Dad. That's it. That's it. And I'm like, that's my episode. Just taking a nap and my daughter's just crawling over me. That's it. But this episode specific is the dad and his brother are here. And the, the other kids, you can put the picture on the screen. They're playing make-believe. They're playing pretend. They do a lot of this pretend thing. And you, you see uh, Muffin is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but you have Bluey and Bingo. And then you have the dad and the brother, and they're doing this pretend. And my daughter has already done this with me and my wife. She's done it with any person that walks through the door after she learned um, from Daniel Tiger what a wedding is. Anyone that walks in the door, my three-year-old's like, you two, married, let's go, come on. And we're like, okay, Murphy, like, this is just pretend. So that's what they're doing in this episode. They're playing pretend because the moms, they went away to go have rest, much-needed rest. Shout out to you moms. Uh, and so the dads are like, how are we supposed to do that? So the kids, they make them horsies. They're like, you horsies, get married. And so they're just playing pretend as horsies. And the, the brother horsey's like, uh-uh, I'm out. And he runs away. And the whole rest of the episode is the kids are just flipping couches. They're turning over pillows. They're pulling back curtains. They are searching the whole house trying to find the runaway bride horsey. It's amazing. <laughs> and kids, here's what I want you to understand. God himself has flipped over the pillows, has torn back curtains, has looked under the bed, has flipped over the sofa, has gone searching to find you because he loves you and he wants you to be a part of his church. We are, it is so important we know that we are the bride of Christ. We are the bride that ran away, whom God has in his grace alone given all to buy us back. 1 Peter 2 verses 9 through 10 picks right back up with the fulfillment of this prophecy from Hosea. So if you're with me, 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 9 through 10, it says this, but you, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And here it is, here it is right here, verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The people of God are the recipient of those, are those who are the recipients of God's grace and mercy, despite all that we have done against God. That God is the good groom. Tim Keller just puts it this way, when He's talking to brides in his congregation. I was listening to his sermon a couple weeks ago, and he's just saying, brides, when your husband is not being how your husband's supposed to be, when I, as a husband, am like, Haley, look, I don't want to do the dishes right now. <laughs> like, I just want to play disc golf. Like, please. Uh, when I am not being a husband that is quick to serve and quick to love and humble and kind and gracious, it is so easy to go, Wow, why do I know that that's not what my husband's supposed to be right now? Because God is the good husband. God, Jesus is the, the perfect groom to the bride. And we look to that and he is the one that chased us down in our sinful and wicked ways so that we could be in a communal relationship with God. That's your next fill in the blank is that God wants to be in a communal relationship with you. God wants his people because he made them is the next one. 
Ephesians 2.10 talks about how God, you are his workmanship. And he created you with a purpose. God wants his people simply because he loves them. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He wants his people because he loves them. God wants his people because ultimately he wants us to display his glory as image bearers of the one true God. If you're ever wondering who are the people of God, just know it's those who respond to the call of grace by faith. It's a little bit of both. It's solely dependent upon a God who lavishly gave his grace into a people who would receive such grace, repent out of their sin and say, God, I need you and you alone. It's the song we sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. It is only in all Jesus. But how does this bring us to the idea of the church? Well, kids, if, if you hear the word church, think, the people of God. Like, think the people of God. That is where it begins. Whether we're in this, this awesome building that used to be a horse stable, which I don't know if you knew that, but I grew up my whole life, like, waiting for horses just to come through the doors because this used to be a horse stable, and it's so cool. But the people of God gathered together to govern and rule as ambassadors for God. So out of your salvation, you are called, as First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, to proclaim the excellencies of him who has saved you, who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The people of God have a purpose. And the people of God do this because they are filled with the presence of God. It's not just that we are the people of God, but it's that we've been filled with the presence of God. Well, Nathaniel, what does that mean? Thank you for asking so much. Uh, that helps me continue. When you think of the presence of God, it's, it's honestly what sets the church apart. Because any group of people can congregate and gather, right? I can go to Comic-Con and have the best time of my life, but dare I say the presence of God is there. Uh, I can go to the Dallas Cowboys game and say I congregated with an assembly of people, but that's not really the congregation of the people of God proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and marvelous light. It's just fans coming together to say, this is our year and it not be your year again. Uh, it's, there's so many ways that you can assemble together. But there's a distinctness to the people of God coming together as one assembly dedicated with one purpose, which is to glorify God and give glory to him. But how does this happen? How do we know that the presence of God is among the people of God? Well, if you read Acts chapter 2, we're, we're stepping into the promise fulfilled from Jesus. That Jesus would send his Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit that was at the beginning of creation and woven through the fabric of, the, of history that God was using was now going to come and be set among his people for those who respond to the call of grace by faith. That it would indwell within us to spur on the mission of God. The presence of God. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 through 4. Are y'all still awake? Cool? About 80% of y'all. Great. That's, that's better than I was hoping. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And if you're like me, you're like, where's that? It's big number 2, little number 1. Or it, I don't know if it's on the screen. I think it might be on the screen. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, holy guacamole, what is Pentecost? Right? We're so removed from this ancient Jewish cultural tradition that it might be easy to miss, but... Pentecost is essentially just people coming together to celebrate this, this awesome event 
they're coming from different nations, different tribes, different languages. They're coming from all across the region to one place at one time. So it's kind of cool that the first instance we see of God's spirit filling the people after Christ's ascension is at the moment that was most primed for nations to be represented and to be present. So that when the disciples are there and they're starting to hear other people talk in their native languages, they're going, why can I understand that? It's because different nations and languages were represented and the Holy Spirit was doing a work to advance the mission of God, to advance the testimony of the Son. So God, from this moment on, is using his church. And Peter's about to give a sermon. That ties back to Matthew 16. Like, the first sermon is Peter. That's so cool for me. Uh, Peter's about to give this sermon filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're like me and you're like, well, fire, that's pretty cool, but I would really freak out like the dude in Home Alone when his head catches on fire. I'm like, why is that there? Like, that's how I would respond if there was fire on my head. But what would the people of Israel or the Jewish people have thought in their day and time? Well, here's what the resting fire revealed about God's promise to his people. In Genesis, God promised that he would save his people. He essentially made this promise, look, I will, I will be with you. Exodus chapter 3, we see Moses approach this bush. And in his region, it was common for these bushes actually to light on fire because they have these oils on them that make them combust sometimes. But what was remarkable to Moses, what scholars will say, is that this bush, yes, it was on fire, but unlike any other bush, it wasn't consumed by the fire. Right? The fire was all around it, but it wasn't destroying the bush. It was just there. So Moses sees this bush and he's like, that's different. The bush isn't being destroyed. I'm going to go check that out. Like, it's one of my favorite lines in all of the Bible where Moses literally goes, it just says, he looked over and it says like in third person, I'm going to go see what that is. Uh, And he walks over and finds that it's God's presence in the bush, that he is on holy ground. Exodus chapter 12, we see that as the the people of Israel, uh, the the Jewish people are being released from captivity of Egypt and they are leaving in the Exodus that a presence of a pillar of fire by night was leading them as God's way of saying, I am with you, I am leading you. Exodus chapter 40, God's presence of fire was in the tabernacle. That is indwelling place in that moment was in the tent of meeting with God. And that that was represented by the fire. Second Chronicles chapter 7, it says that God's presence of fire was over the temple. First Kings chapter 18 says that God's fire came down from heaven. Daniel chapter 3 said God's presence was in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, God was working to be with his people. And in his right time, he would make it known to them when 400 years after silence, Jesus was born as God with us so that God's presence wouldn't be kept to a fire in a tent in a place or a position or location, but God's presence would now indwell with his people. Exodus 2, the tongues of fire is this, that when they saw that, they said, this is God's presence. We, we now as disciples are called to be set apart holy to be the ambassadors of the kingdom, to advance the testimony of Jesus to the nations. The church is the people of God filled with the presence of God. That's what makes us distinct, is that the presence of God lives inside of us because of our common salvation. 
The, station, the stationary meeting place of God was no longer a tabernacle or temple. It was the people. God the Spirit is your next fill in the blank. God the Spirit now reveals the presence of God among those who are saved in Christ. And just as the fire marked distinct the presence of God in the past, it is the same for us. It marks those who are redeemed people of God. But this is all cool, but why does this matter? Why does this matter? Well, when Moses steps up to the bush, remember, like, he literally, he goes in Exodus 3 and goes, that is different. There's something unique and distinct and different about that bush. I'm going to go check it out. And he comes and sees that it's God's presence resting in that bush, that it is a holy place. It is set apart. And here's where the church should be. The church should be a place, a people, really. It should be a people that when others see the church represented in the people of God, they go, that is different and I want to know. That it's not just when you drive down Mason, you go, hey, kids, look, that's the church. No, that when they see people gathered together in the name of God, proclaiming the praises of God, that they would say, that is different, and I want some of that. That would be more attractive than a Klondike bar tempting me to go get a Klondike. I love how the Reverend King put it a long time ago in his sermon called The Drum Major Instinct. I think the most miraculous thing about the church is that it's about the people of God under one common salvation, none elevated higher than the other, all sinners saved by grace or those who enter into the presence of the people of God, sinners in need of grace. It's all about grace. The Reverend King says this, and the church is the one place where a doctor ought to forget that he's a doctor. The church is the one place where a PhD ought to forget that he is a PhD. The church is the one place the school teacher ought to forget that he or she has behind their name School teacher. The church is the one place where the lawyer ought to forget that he's a lawyer. And any church that violates the whosoever will let him come doctrine is a dead, cold church and nothing but a little social club with a thin veneer of religiosity. He continues on to say, It is the one place where everyone should be the same, standing before a common master and savior. I don't know if you know what veneer is. I've been doing this woodworking thing and you know okay raise your hand if you know what girl math is because that's a big thing right girl math all the girls great uh i've learned about it uh girl math essentially and correct me if i'm wrong girl math is where <laughs> you are like hey you come home and this is such a stereotype so please don't take this as cold hard truth it's just a thing on instagram uh it's it's this thing where you come home and you're like hey and like imagine my wife she comes home hey i got this new stanley great. She goes, it was 40% off. I'm like, so I really, I saved us like 15 bucks. I'm like, well, I mean, you spent 30, but you know, you, you actually cost us. So that's the joke with girl math. And then I have this idea of, of guy math. Like I like to do woodworking projects. Like that picked up for me about a year and a half ago. Now we're in Maryland and my cabinet there when we were living there, like almost fell off the wall. And I was like, this thing's from 1976, time to rebuild. And so I was like, we can do this. We went to Home Depot, bought the plywood, we built it. It was so much fun and also not at the same time. Uh, but I learned about this thing called veneer. And what veneer edge banding is, is essentially the ugly piece of the plywood that's not covered. So if you pick up a piece of plywood, you have this end piece. You know what I'm talking about? Are you following me? Cool? That was a little slow, but we'll work on it. Uh, and it's on the edge, and you put this veneer over it that is maybe a 32nd or a 64th of an inch wide. And it just covers that ugly spot. That's what Dr. King was saying here. 
is if we walk into church, whether it's at this building, whether it's if we gathered outside, which it's a great winter day here today, uh, wherever the assembly of God is gathered, if you were to step into that church and there were some who were favored more highly because of their position or status, then that is not the church. That is a religious social club. The true church is the people of God humbled in a common salvation, all proclaiming, I am sinner of most, saved by the grace of the highest one true God. So kids, 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 get this, get this. It's so cool. So cool. Who said that? Who said that? That was so cool. That was literally perfect. Awesome, dude. Uh, The faith your parents profess when your parents say, hey, let's go to church, know that they're saying, hey, let's go meet with the people of God together to proclaim the excellencies of him who called me your mom or me your dad or me your adoptive parent or me your caretaker. Or just that, that faith I'm professing is the faith that has brought me out of my darkness into marvelous light. And that faith, kids, is the same for you as it is for your parents. Students, college kids, young adults, married, single, wherever, whatever stage in life you are, there is one common thing that can bring the people of God together, and that's the common salvation found in Jesus. So when he says the assembly of God to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, when he says the assembly, the ecclesia of God coming together to rule over and to push for the message of salvation of God, he is talking about it's all going to happen because it's one common salvation, and it's because of what I'm about to do for you that you could never do. And through that, the presence of God will rest on you. The church is the people of God filled with the presence of God. And the the last section here is to, well, what do we do with that? Well, we powerfully proclaim the praises of God. And I'm not talking about, like, like, if you're like me, it's so much easier to just go and take the hill. You know what I mean? Like, I remember Coach Beasley in Cross Country High School, and if you went to Cinco Ranch, this man is wonderful. Uh, But he, there's this hill in the back of Cinco Ranch High School. And he would make us run that thing so much. And that was honestly my favorite workout. Like when I ran cross country, I loved running the hill. And it's just, I have this personality that I am much more inclined to go and take the hill than to sit and be. And the church has to learn to do both. The church has to learn how to be with Jesus so we can become like Jesus and love the way Jesus loved. The church is not just taking the hill, even though we are pushing and advancing the message of the kingdom. The church is meant to serve others by using all that we have been given to love sacrificially. Look with me at Acts chapter 2 at the end, verses 42 through 47. The first like gathering of the people of the church we get to see here. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Big number 2, little, 40, little 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The church is an instrument to advance the message of Jesus. The church is invited in to be a community with one common salvation as the people of God, with the indwelling presence of God, to profess the powerful praises of God. One way we can do that is by serving. There's three ways that just like 
I felt laying on my heart of how can the church be the church? And I think you read this passage and you get a few things. There's one is serve. You know, it's a blessing to pour back into those with common salvation. It's, it's said in Hebrews that it blesses our brothers and sisters in Christ when we serve one another. So what are ways you can serve here at Grace? Maybe it's with the bridge. With our kids with special needs ministry. Maybe it's with the students in high school or middle school. Man, those who served me there. I know Mr. Chuck's here today, Mr. Tim Kubiak, Mr. Harry Hughes, Tad Buchanan, Mr. Nick. There's so many that have gone before that served to pour into a guy like me who just wanted to destroy that building. And they said, you're worth it. We want you here. Maybe it's in missions. Maybe it's in preschool. Whew. My daughter is turn, has turned three. It is awesome. Uh, parents, you know what that means. Uh, maybe it's in the nursery. Man, God bless you if you find favor in wiping booties of kids because I'm so glad we are getting out of that phase. Uh, maybe it's in the care ministry of learning to just sit and grieve with people. Maybe it's in the prayer ministry. Man, one thing I can tell you that I learned here growing up is that Pastor Jim's heart was that we would be a church that prays. And I know that if you've been coming to Grace or if this is your first time, you're going to get that message here is that we want to be a church that prays. Would you serve by being on the worship team with Stephen and also give him a hard time when you do it? There are people who go before us who give their time and serve because they have been called as the people of God filled with the presence of God to advance the message of the gospel because we need to know that we are dead in our sins and have opportunity to be saved by one common salvation in Jesus. Next, another way that we could actively proclaim powerfully the praises of God is by going on missions. And I know I already said it by serving here, but I just mean even bigger than that. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says, I'm going to fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit to go from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And it's not just limited to that. What happened is it's this advancing, growing, larger type mission of God that it was going to go well past Jerusalem. That, that the, the people that God had set apart in the Old Testament were the starting point of a global mission to reach all of every tribe, tongue, and nation. That would be under one common salvation. The church is meant, the church, the assembly of God is meant to send out, pray for, and give to the active mission of God so that the testimony of Jesus would reach the deepest parts of the earth. The church is meant to be actively involved in proclaiming the truth of the gospel to those who do not have it. Now, like I said, I'm a take the hill type of person. So for a lot of high school, when I was young and zealous in my faith, my way of doing this with my friends was kind of just smashing them with the word of God, like going like, yo, here's the Bible. And there's a time where we need hard truths. I'm not old. I feel old. I'm not. Uh, but what I've learned in life is that a lot of people, it is a lot more effective to just sit there and wait and listen, and be present in a steady presence that loves them the way Jesus would love them, that picks them up in the middle of the night when they don't have a ride, that doesn't judge them in the state they're in, but hopes to see them in who they can become in Christ. 
that knows that I am not, I cannot change this person. I can be an instrument. I can be a person that points them to the one who can change them the way I've been changed. That we would actively be on mission down Mason Road, West Timer, uh, Friar Road, Cinco Ranch Boulevard, Clay Road, from anywhere and everywhere where you find yourself planted, that you would be missional with your neighbors first. To you, but also that we would be missional. That this, this specific assembly of the people of God here in Katy, Texas is missional for the unreached people group. Growing up, I heard Pastor Jim say all the time, man, my dream is that we would reach 10 unreached people groups. 10. And by the time I, last time I came here, uh, it was the Banjar, the Makassar, the Rajput, and the Boogie. So I, I texted Pastor Jim the other day. I was like, hey, is there any new addition? And oh my goodness, there is. And that is so cool. We are at six unreached people group where we are active, where, where this church right here, this assembly of God's people in Katy, Texas is actively working to send people where there is no one proclaiming the gospel. I believe the, new, the two new ones are the Afar of Ethiopia and the Azerbaijani. I, I really need help pronouncing that. And Jim's laughing at me, and that's totally okay. Uh, because I haven't been here to hear him say that, so that's my fault. Uh, but that we would be active in what God has called the, the church here in Katy to do, to send people, or maybe for you to be sent, to commit that you pray for these missionaries who are going, and that you would commit that I am sacrificially given the way the woman gave her one and only coin, not out of her abundance, but she gave out of her deficit, trusting that the Lord would do the work to keep her and keep the mission going. Finally, that we would proclaim God with our worship. Worship is a broad topic. It's not limited to just one thing. But in John chapter 4, Jesus enter, er, encounters this woman first from Samaria. And he says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So what is Jesus saying to this woman at the well? Sorry, I touched my mic. <laughs> He's saying that it's, it's not this precise place or location where I will be worshipped. I'm not limited to where you want to build a building or where you think I ought to be worshipped. I will be worshipped throughout the ends of the earth, proclaimed among all nations and all tribes. Jesus is saying, worship is wherever my people are coming together to gather together because of their common salvation that is going to be found through my death and resurrection. Romans 12, 1 makes it clear that what worship is, that by the mercies of God, that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. God paid the ultimate sacrifice by giving his only son so that we could come to an encounter with him under a common salvation to profess that together, to be filled with the Holy Spirit as the embodied, like, like the Bible project, if you ever watch them, they're great. Timothy Maggie says, you, you we're essentially like little temples now, each of us, like little temples. That's what we're called to be holy, set apart. We're little temples coming together to make the ecclesia, the church that comes together to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. And we do that by worshiping, by being on mission, by serving. Now, as we get to the end, I just want to ask you to pause and just remember a time when you remember the church being the church. I can think of many times for me. I can think most readily, most, uh, this specific gathering of God's people here in Katy, Texas, when Hurricane Harvey came. And our house was just gone. 
I was at college, so I was like, where do I go when I come home? And it's like, well, you're going to go home, and you're going to rip out drywall, Nathaniel. I'm like, great. Uh, I remember the church saying, the people of God fueled with the presence of God going out to serve and be on mission. We're going to proclaim God's praises by how we love one another well. My family was a recipient of that love. The praises of God is clearly seen by how we love God and love one another well. And when we do that the way Jesus does that. Sorry, this fell out. It's a little how to read your Bible tip we give our students. It's my bad. Just a reminder, the church. Kids, what is it? What was the one thing I said? Remember, what is the church, kids? The boom! Yes! Thank you! Oh. Y'all count as kids too. Y'all could have said something, but you didn't. It's okay, students. Uh, The people of God gathered with the presence of God, declaring the powerful praises of God. And one way we get to actively be the church right now is by how we get the opportunity to pray for one another. We're about to close and go into a time of worship. And one thing that I've always loved about Grace is they make these spaces available at the front where you can come and kneel. You can come and you can kneel and you can cup your hands as a sign of saying, I need someone to pray with me. And one thing that the church as the community of believers gets to do is we get to encourage one another. That's what scripture says. We get to call one another out out of love. And we get to stir one another up in love to do good works. And by good works, I mean advancing the gospel however God calls us to do it. So I want to invite you in this time, if you feel comfortable, come to the front. If you're uncomfortable as a kid like I was, my dad, I always loved one thing he did for me. We would just, uh, if we had communion, we'd take communion. Or if during the prayer time, we would just turn around in our seat and we would kneel at our seat together. And we would just pray right there together. We never really said anything to each other. And I was usually praying for a new set of golf clubs, but we did it. And it left an impact on me. And so I just want to invite you to pray. And so I'm going to pray. I'll stress in this time and then Stephen's going to lead us. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gathered assembly here today to proclaim your excellencies as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, set apart, brought from death to life. Lord God, would you move, would you work, and would you create in these people that when those see these people, they say, wow, they love God and love others so well that I want to know what this church is about. Lord, we ask that we would be part of advancing your kingdom until Christ calls or comes. In your name, amen.